Uh, good morning to you, my friends. I uh, have very much enjoyed being with you uh, the last couple of days, and uh, thank you, uh, Mark, for having me here, and Elaine, and uh, anyone else who had anything at all to do with it. Uh, I, I love the enthusiasm of youth to hear you sing. It's just fantastic, and to, to yeah, just, just to hang out with you and hear your your thoughts about some of the things I've been saying. Thank you for your feedback. Um, uh, you know what? I was thinking, you, you guys are, are fantastic in that you moved out of your parents' house and are at school here. Very cool. You left many of your peers behind in doing that. Uh, a, millennial, a millennial said, I live in a two-income household, but who knows how long my mother can keep that up. That was funny. Come on. Are you okay? Are you awake? Yeah. I uh, was speaking at an elementary school, and uh, a little guy looked up at me and said, how old are you? And, and I said, I am so old. And there were a bunch of them around. I am so old that my social insurance number is four. <laughs> and they, they just kind of looked at me. Like, well, well that must be really old. I don't know. But you get to my age, you, you have to guard against general all-around crankiness. Anyone experience crankiness? Yes. How many woke up this morning cranky? My wife woke me up. I'm cranky. I, um, I, I walked into a restaurant and said, do you serve crabs here? And uh, the waiter said, we serve anybody. Have a seat, you know. <laughs> My uncle was cranky. Uh, he once gambled his car away in Las Vegas. I don't know if you knew that, but I'll tell you, the rental car people were furious with him. Um, maybe you're crab crabby. I hope not. Are, are you, how are you doing? You doing okay this morning? Are you? Huh? Do this. Do this. Take my stress test for college students, all right? For Prairie College students, are you ready? Do you use Pepto-Bismol as gravy? I hope you're not stressed out this morning. I trust that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if it, this was you at the start of the week, was it? I hope that this is a little more like you today, this guy. Yeah, yeah. May your joy overflow into laughter a little more often. I think it does. It does, doesn't it? Here are some signs that help me laugh. I'll just show you a few. Uh, keep right. Yeah. Stay in school. We need smarter people. Illiterate, write for free help. How many didn't get that? No, you did. Touching wires causes instant death. $200 fine. How many go with the $200 fine? I'm in on the $200 fine. Chinese restaurant, all-you-can-eat buffet, not mean all-day buffet. You know, come stay for an hour, you eat, go home. <laughs> if you're a restaurant owner, you say, yes, absolutely, that's true. This year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. Say it with me. No, we won't. Good for you. We will not do that. Well, I had a phone call from a guy who said, Callaway, I don't much like your sense of humor. It wasn't one of you. It was a guy from outside of here. I don't much like your sense of humor. He said, what does laughing have to do with being a Christian where in the last days this is hardly a time for laughter? What would you say? I said, is that you, Dad? <laughs> he did not find any humor in that whatsoever. So I found out where he lived and went and put a potato in his exhaust pipe. Uh, no, I didn't. But I got thinking that we, of all people, have every reason to rejoice. Amen? Help me out here. Tell me some reasons you have to rejoice today. There's chocolate in it for you. Come on. Chocolate, yes, careful, careful. Whoa, here they come. We have knocked one of the lights completely out. Some, uh huh? Who is coming? Ski season, yes, yes. All right, 
You can ski to school before long here. Someone over here. Come on. Snow. Okay. This, this is, this, these are pretty lame, I got to tell you. I, I mean, we're talking about rejoicing here. Is there something you have to re- really rejoice about this morning? What? Fall, oh, who said that? Wow, here, here it comes. Careful, careful. There we go. Watch for incoming chocolate. Truly rejoice. Huh? Maybe it's been a hard week. What helps you rejoice? Cold weather. Okay, I'm, uh, okay, come on. Deeper than that. Seriously. No, you guys aren't even close. Okay, you said Jesus, so you get chocolate. Careful. How many have been forgiven? Huh? Amen. Eternity is waiting for the likes of us. Did you realize that? Look out. Look out. All right. There may be more later. Chocolate. I, um, I, get, I get so excited about some of this stuff. Forgive me. When I think that of all, I, I, I'll tell you what, there is a gal in this room who has seen me at my worst and has forgiven me so many times in 35 years. Am I blessed? Can I rejoice? You betcha. Let's choose in the messes of life, let's choose this radical gratitude. Friends of ours in Salem, Oregon, were in for a surprise. This is them, Jim and Jean Southworth. They had uh, been sound asleep, and it was about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Their son got up not knowing that something was going to happen that would put a dent in their day. He got up, and he went to the fridge to get a, a glass of milk. He drank the milk, went back to bed, and climbed in and fell off to sleep. On a nearby hillside, the Curly's Dairy Delivery ice cream guy had stopped to make a delivery. And he went up to the door and he turned and he looked in horror as his delivery truck, a big, huge truck, took off backwards. It started down the hill backwards. It picked up speed as it went. By the time it got to the Southworth house, it was moving so quickly, it took out their picket fence, a maple tree, a large row of shrubs, and came to rest in their kitchen. It knocked out the complete front of their house. Jean and Jim were sound asleep at the time. One year earlier, there had been an earthquake, and Jim sat straight up, and he said to his wife, a truck hit the house, but it was an earthquake. This time, he sat up and said, it's an earthquake, but it was a truck. They came out of their room. They came around the front of the house and and into the kitchen, and they found uh, this truck in their kitchen. What would you do? Jean said, I started crying over a spilt milk truck, she said. I I was standing there, and then she saw a sign on the side of that, that, that big, huge van. It said, here comes Curly's, and she started to laugh. She laughed, and she laughed. Finally, the Curly's delivery guy caught up to his truck, and he was crying, and there were the, the two of them were, 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 you know, comforting this poor guy, this traumatized man. Well, the newspaper guys arrived right away, TV crews. They came to find out what the Southworths were going to do. It hit the news. They said, how much will you be suing for? And, and Gene said, suing? We hadn't even thought of that. We are so thankful to be alive. There is no way we're going to be suing. Instead, the story took off as they did this. They, they took the $10,000 in insurance money, and they added some to it, and they fixed up the front of their house. Gene said, we never really liked the way it was anyway. 
And then they had the closing of an open house ceremony. They invited friends. 63 friends came. 63 friends, including guess who? The Curly's delivery guy. He came. They had signs telling him where to park. <laughs> Do not park in flower bed. Do not park in house. He served ice cream to neighborhood kids. And they had an amazing time. And the story became one of forgiveness and grace. Jean made it clear. She said, you know what? To the, the media, we're Christians. We believe in love and forgiveness. And she said, we are so thankful. We are thankful. Our son could have been standing at the fridge drinking that milk when the delivery truck showed up. He would be gone. We are so grateful. She said, you know what? Pulitzer Prize winners know what will be in, my, or what will be in their obituaries. She said, I know what will be in mine. Someone's going to say something about the day I got creamed by a dairy truck. And she said, besides, my husband is a dentist and he's used to filling cavities. What are you thankful for this morning in the midst of whatever comes into your life? I trust you've learned a little about gratitude this week, that joy grows best in the soil of thanksgiving, that joy is a gift from God. It is something that we choose. You know, I got to tell you, I have met young bucks in the prime of life and health who have absolutely everything to be grateful for, but are miserable. They spend their time staring at their phones and complaining about stuff. Is that you? I spent time with 82-year-olds lying in hospital beds who have the joy of the Lord all over their faces. One of my prayers for you is that you will take this joy and that you will spread it to friends and family and complete strangers. Did you sing this a minute ago? Lead me in your love to those around you, me. Are you doing that? Let's do it. In Psalm 51, David wrote this. Listen, I told you yesterday, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, right? We like to talk about that. We forget the rest of the verse. What does it say? Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. You get your joy on, my friend, and people are going to notice. I was speaking at a marriage retreat where uh, down in the front was a lovely young couple. She was laughing out all my jokes, a very brilliant woman. I thought, wow. And uh, her husband was not laughing. He was looking at me like this. He looked so sour. He looked like he could suck buttons off a sofa. Have you met one of those sofa suckers? Have you? Afterwards, his wife came up to me. She shook my hand. She said, Phil, I just want to thank you. I have not seen my husband laugh this hard in years. <laughs> wow. Well, I don't know what was going on in his life, but I trust that others will see your joy in the coming days. You know, uh, I admitted that yesterday that I have some fears. I, I, I fear telling others about my faith. That's one thing I fear. I also fear speed bumps, but I'm getting over it. <laughs> What helps you get over your fear of telling others about your joy, of, of witnessing? One thing for me has been just a sense of humor, using humor, laughing. A soft answer turns away wrath. Often a humorous answer can turn a skeptic into a listener. I loved hearing this story. A Christian was asked by an atheist, well, what does the Bible say about uh, different stuff? And he said, what, what does the Bible say about talking to the dead? He was just trying to be difficult. The answer was very unexpected. The Christian guy said, well, it says you should speak very loudly because the first thing that goes when you're dead is your hearing. <laughs> well, this atheist started to laugh. It was the last thing he expected. When he stopped laughing, he listened to why the Bible condemns this evil practice. 
Eric Metaxas believes that humor is a dynamite way to reach the modern mind. In a culture where some consider Christians to be unpleasant people, humor puts them at ease, he says, and makes them more willing to listen. He says that in the same way the Apostle Paul looked for a familiar starting point in talking to the ancient Athenians, you remember the story, we can find ways, including humor, to reach our unsaved neighbors. Chuck Colson agreed. He said, I've known many people who were turned off by Christians who were just too serious, but I've never known one who refused to listen to someone who first made him laugh. I mentioned a year ago how I was on a flight. I had been on a book tour, and I was absolutely tired out. I'd been five days on the road and into all kinds of different places to talk about the books, and suddenly I find myself beside a psychologist he introduced me as, he, he was a psychologist, and in no time he diagnosed me as a Christian. And he said, I've had bad experiences with Christians. What would you do? What would you say? I said, really? Me too. And grabbed his hand and shook it, and he started to laugh. We had a four-hour conversation from Dallas to Calgary about Jesus because of some goofy little comment that I think God put into my mind, and it helped him. Two neighbors were as different as day and night. One was a lifelong liberal, the other a conservative. One was a solid Christian, the other didn't. Well, he just wouldn't darken a church door even for a potluck. But for some reason, they got along. They knew that discussing politics or religion was a surefire formula for disaster, so they talked about their marriages, about the kids, and they laughed together. When the non-Christian's wife was diagnosed with cancer and died in three short months, it was his Christian neighbor he turned to. The neighbor wrote this about the night of his wife's death. Listen, I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparation and the service like I was in a trance. And that night, after the service, I just wanted to be alone. I left and went to a path along the river and walked all night. But I did not walk alone. My neighbor, afraid for me, I suppose, stayed with me all night. He did not speak. He did not try and get me to go home. He just followed me. When the sun finally came up over the river, he came up to me and said, let's get some breakfast. I go to church now, my neighbor's church. I don't really like the pastor's politics sometimes, he says. But a religion that can produce the kind of caring and love my neighbor showed me is something I want to be involved in. I want to be like that. I want to love and love and be loved like that the rest of my life. You say, Calloway, I, good, but what can I do? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not eloquent. Can you forgive when it seems impossible? Can you love when it seems unreasonable? Can you overtip in a restaurant until the waitress wants to know why? Some of you say, no, I can't. <laughs> Borrow some money. No, don't. Getting into debt is like wetting the bed. It feels good for a very short period of time, so don't do that. But can you know, can you know more about selfless living than taking the perfect selfie? God is going to use you. You have ears that can listen, a heart that cares, hands that can help, and a face that can smile. Use them for God's glory, would you? Laughter is a powerful magnet to the kingdom of God. Humor breaks down barriers. I've seen it happen so often. I have the privilege of speaking to secular audiences. It's startling how much you can say about faith when you tell the story of other people in your life and when you make people laugh until stuff hurts. It's a wonderful thing to see happen. I had an email from Iceland. A lady was, was reading one of my books. She, this is what she said. I was reading the book, laughing out loud. My husband, who was not a believer, came into the room and said, I thought that was a Christian book. Oh, 
He has since read the book, so have our children. Here's another letter. Where do you read about the apostles trying to make jokes in order to reach people? There's no humor in the Bible. Do you think the disciples were hated by the world because they made people laugh? Jesus did use parables, but he certainly never made a joke. That was signed uh, Esther in California. I changed her name. Her real name is Arlene. Okay. <laughs> but how can you separate joy from laughter? It overflows. They go hand in hand. Listen to Psalm 126. I love this. When the Lord brought back His exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations... The Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy! Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. I, I, I think I call this lifestyle evangelism. We like to talk about lifestyle evangelism. Maybe you say, hey, Calloway, I'm about as funny as a cardboard box. What about me? Not all of us are capable of sharing uh, our, our faith with, with humor, but all of us are capable of living our lives with joy, and people will notice. Most of my Bible reading this year has been in the Gospels. I've come to believe that even in the midst of deep sorrow, Jesus often had a twinkle in His eye. Do you, hear, do you see it as you read? I see it when He compares legalists with the guy who, who polishes the outside of his drinking cup but forgets to clean the inside or picks a fly out of his drink then swallows a camel. Is there humor in Scripture? Are you kidding me? Carmen, you could do it. how many hours on the Old Testament and the incredible things that are said. Proverbs is at times hilarious. Constant dripping of a wife. These kind of things. And, and did Jesus laugh? Are you kidding me? I, the people that ask me this have not spent much time camping with 12 guys. Really? Come on. Jesus did and they loved Him. Those who understand Jewish culture and ancient humor don't have much trouble answering this question. You don't get invited to as many parties as Jesus did from chewing on lemons all day. That's, no, he was undoubtedly a joy to be with. Jesus did not attract huge crowds, which included children, by boring them to death. Part of keeping a crowd's attention can be humor. It's one of those tools. Speakers who are humorless do not attract many people. Name one, I'll change my mind. Tell me later. Someone said to me one time when I said that, Hitler didn't. Well, I said, well, maybe we shouldn't take our cues from him, you know. <laughs> I, I read this one biography of Hitler. A biographer said, I never saw Hitler laugh. I could not personally state that Hitler had humor. Friedrich Nietzsche was born the son of a Lutheran pastor. Sadly, he rejected his father's faith and became a lifelong rebel against Christianity. He wrote some horrendous things, including this. I call Christianity the great curse, the one enormous and innermost perversion, for which no means are too venomous and too petty. I call it the one immortal blemish of mankind. Wow. Those who study his life say that he gave up on Christianity, not because of a lack of evidence, but in huge part because of joyless Christians. He wrote of his father, does that thing in the pulpit ever laugh or cry? Does he ever feel anything? Does what he preached ever find itself in real human experience? There is nothing spiritual about a sour face, nothing virtuous about crankiness. May people see our joy. Chuck Swindoll says this, if you ask me, I think it is often just as sacred to laugh as it is to pray or preach or witness. But then laughter is a witness in many ways. We have been misled 
if we have come to think of laughter and fun as being carnal or even questionable. The second fruit of the Spirit is joy, isn't it? When the Spirit of God departs, the joy is gone. In Galatians 4.15, Paul asked the Galatian church that had strayed so far from God, what has happened to all your joy? You are being trained to go, to impact this world. I'm so thankful you're here. You're going to give people a reason for the hope that you have. Do it with joy. We Christians are, 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 are like manure. We spread out, we do some good, you know. We pile together too long and things start to stink. So do. When, hear people hear you, when you hear people laughing, what do you want to do? You want to laugh with them. You want to go join in. I was speaking in Niagara Falls, not in the falls, but, but nearby in a, in a hotel. It was 500 ladies at a ladies' conference uh, in the Sheraton out there. And on the Sunday morning, uh, I noticed something happened. The door opened at the back and, and a guy came in. That made two of us. And there I was speaking, and I kind of forgot about him, and I was, I was doing something. It was actually on the topic of learning to laugh when life stinks in the hard times. Afterwards, he came up to me, and he had a piece of paper. He said, Phil, I, I have to show you this. He said, I took notes, which always amazes me. He took notes. Wow. And, 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 and he, wow. I looked at him. He actually, I kid you not, he did. He said, I play in the bar band here in the hotel. We've been here for several weeks. He said, uh, we played till 2 in the morning, and, and I, I went to sleep then, and I, I got up about uh, 7 or 8, and, and I couldn't sleep. I walked around the hotel, and all of a sudden, I heard women laughing. He said, I could, what would they be laughing about on a Sunday morning? So I opened the door. They let me come in. I said, I noticed that. He came in. He sat down, and he started hearing from God's Word about joy. And he said, my parents have been, in Boston have been praying for me for years that I would come to Jesus. And that's what happened this morning. Because some ladies were laughing, the joy of the Lord was very evident. So take this joy with you. Spread it all around. When Jonathan Edwards was 18, he preached his very first sermon, Christian Happiness. He had three points, and I will apologize to him for stealing these points when I get to heaven. They are taken from a glorious chapter in God's Word that helps us live in a world marked by brokenness and pain. It is an amazing chapter. I want you to stand to our feet, uh, your feet. Uh, don't stand to our feet because I can't, can't help you with that. These were his three points. Our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away. And the best is yet to come. These thoughts come from Romans 8. We're just going to read certain verses. Please, when you get back to your room and you have some time, or make some time to just read through this chapter. When you go to bed at, uh, tonight, read through this chapter. Let's read together. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children including the new bodies, 
He has promised us. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that amazing? God's Word. Go ahead and sit down. First point is our bad things turn out for good. Write it down. My wife needed this very early in our marriage. She was married to a guy. She found out, I am so cheap. It's ridiculous. How cheap? Huh? When you start going to McDonald's with empty ketchup bottles and... Filling up, no, I never did that. But I said to her once, she can vouch for me. I said, honey, uh, you are only getting one cup of tea from a tea bag. You can do better. I said that. I said, my mother, which is a wonderful way of starting sentences, my mother used to use the same tea bag for weeks. And she would, um, she would make soup with it, you know, and salad. And then uh, we would floss with the string. And then my friends and I would go out in the backyard and smoke the leftovers. There's a lot of truth to that. Our bad things turn out for good. Thank you, honey, for hanging in there with me. Verse 28 says, and we know that God causes all, all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Hey, how many have ever had that verse quoted at you when you're going through hard stuff? Hey, here's a Band-Aid. Huh, throw this on. All things. But this is not a come to Jesus and everything will get wonderful verse. First off, this verse says basically that crud happens. All things. Maybe you grew up thinking, if I just serve God, if I just go to Bible college, I won't deal with bad stuff. Not true, my friends. Not true. All things. Our, our friend uh, is struggling with some stuff right now. She's not a believer. And, and she, said, she said to us uh, the other day, uh, it's all good. She's going through horrible stuff. It's all good. I said, really? No, it isn't. The Bible never says that, that it's all good. It promises us hard stuff. It's not all good. Creation was good. God saw it and called it that. But how far we have fallen. If you tell people to come to Jesus and He's just going to fix everything, you are delusional. You are. In John 16, Jesus says to His disciples, listen, in this world you will what? have trouble. Oh, it's a promise. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You will rejoice, Jesus says, and no one will take away your joy. He's talking to men who are going to be persecuted, who are going to be robbed of everything. They're going to be tortured. Many of them crucified, one upside down according to legend. It's, it's amazing, yet joy. Jesus says, your joy will outlast even this. Nothing, not persecution, loneliness, torture, death, will have my permission to take your joy away. Paul is saying that 
The same things that happen to everybody else will happen to us, even if we love God. In the movie, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, the hotel manager Patel says, uh, everything will be all right in the end. So if it is not all right, it is not the end. Kind of like that. But remember, this verse informs us that if things work out all right in the end, the credit goes to God alone. It is not karma. Things do not work together for good on their own or because of some personal or impersonal spiritual force. It is because of God. Our every breath, as we've sung, is from Him. If a relationship is healthy, we thank Him. My wife loves me despite my flaws. I thank her, and I thank God every day. This is a miracle of grace. These bad things are working for good in our lives, so don't be so surprised when bad things happen. Please, we are promised they will, but we're also promised that God is at work in the midst of it. He is a redemptive God. He will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Secondly, our good things can never be lost. Say what? I golfed with a guy last summer who told me God had abandoned him. He uh, wanted a relationship with a girl. He prayed about it, and he said, you know what? I, I had such peace about it, so he pursued it, and so did she. It was great until he found out she was pursuing another relationship with another guy as well. He said, how could God do this to me? I waited until he shanked some shots into the creek. I said, how could God do that to you? Well, no, I didn't. I didn't. I smiled to him. I said, you know what? God didn't do this to you. Sometimes golf happens. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes, you know, we mistake peace for gas, I think, some of us. But no, bad things happen. God does not promise us better life circumstances if we love Him. He promises us a better life, and it is that. Meeting a wonderful gal is one of those circumstances. This joy, the real thing, goes beyond circumstances. Tim Keller said this, Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become like Him. 1 Peter 2.21 agrees, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. That's what we do in tough times. We turn toward Him. Everything says turn away. We turn toward Him. But what does that look like? Jim and Miriam are a couple of my heroes in this life. Well, that was the movie that I forgot about. Miriam is my wife's sister, battling Huntington's disease. Seated across from a doctor in Vancouver, the doctor said to her, uh, Miriam, you're only showing about 50% of the symptoms associated with Huntington's. We think your belief in a higher power has helped you. And she started to laugh. She said, that would be God. And, and, and he said, uh, what is your secret? She said, you know what? Life is falling apart at the edges, but not at the core. Right at the core, I know that I'm loved by God. I'm held in His arms, and I'm promised the eternal joys of heaven. And she said, I also have a beautiful fridge magnet. It says, Lord, if you can't make me thin, make my friends look fat. You know, filled with joy. This woman who, from an earthly standpoint, has absolutely no reason to rejoice. Do you know what nurses told us? Miriam was down to 47 pounds a couple of years ago. Dying of Huntington's disease the nurses would come to her room when they needed to be cheered up. She cheered them up. One of them said, I struggle with deep depression. When I'm depressed, I go into Miriam's room. I always come out feeling better. 47 pounds. Are you kidding me? 
Wow. Miriam passed away a few years ago. How can Jim agree that our good things can never be lost? Because the good things are the permanent things. The light of God's countenance, pardon for sin, assurance of grace, the inheritance of eternal life. Jim knows. He has promised that he will see Miriam once again. Our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost. And finally, the best is yet to come. As believers, we cling tenaciously to the truth that love has the final move, that nothing, no matter how painful or mysterious, can ever separate us from God's love. Amen? We are temporary residents. Never forget that. Next time you're tempted to just gather stuff around you, it's going to decay. Store up things where they're not going to rust. I was just listening to an Eric Clapton song written a few years after his four-year-old son Connor died. You may remember some of you, he fell from a 53rd floor window in, in New York City. It's called Only the Brokenhearted. Here's just a brief snippet. When the wind blows down this hard, many a bond is broken. See the water lie on the ground from where the heavens opened. Lord, how will you get through this night with your dreams departed? And who alone will comfort you? Only the brokenhearted. Because there's a place where we can go where we will not be parted. And who alone will enter there? Only the brokenhearted. Folks, we're just passing through. This world is not our home. Verse 17 that we read, we are heirs of God's glory. Does that excite you this morning? My wife lost five family members, immediate family members, in just over a year, a few years back two of them to Huntington's. What do you say when someone's in the midst of that? Very little. That's what you say. You come alongside. You love them. But let me tell you something. The hope of heaven absolutely captivated us and captured us and continues to. More and more, the best is yet to come. A pastor was on a long flight the captain came on. Flight attendants were to buckle up. I always love when that happens. Oh, man, okay, we know something's happening. Ramon and I were headed into Toronto uh, about two months ago, and, and I don't know if you've ever been on a flight where people scream. That's not cool, you know. All of a sudden, this, this turbulence hit, and the jet basically went like that. And then he righted it, and it did it again, and then, boom, down we went on, and we didn't even have to pay to get onto this roller coaster. It was amazing. People were so mad afterwards, but they were screaming. So in this case, turbulence was coming. Lightning lit up the darkening skies. Cracks of thunder boomed above the roar of the engines, and the plane was soon tossed like a cork on a celestial ocean. The pastor confessed that he was making things right with God. <laughs> Nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed, and some were praying. A few seats away, a little girl sat with her feet tucked behind, be beneath her. She was enjoying a book. The adults were scared half to death. Yet everything within her small world seemed calm and orderly. When the plane finally landed, the pastor went to her, uh, it saw her in, inside the terminal, and, and just asked her, hey, how was it that you weren't afraid? That was terrible. The little girl laughed. She said, because my daddy's the pilot. He's taken me home. I don't know what's tossing you about. During the turbulence, we do well to remember that our father is the pilot. He's in control. He has yet to miss a runway, friends, and he's taken us home. If you're anything like me and you've failed and Satan keeps reminding you of your past, one of you told me that this week, pick up God's Word. God will keep reminding you of your future. 
There is an incorruptible, unspoiled inheritance awaiting the children of God. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. I've written a couple of children's books. One of the things that you never do in a children's book is have the children die. Am I right? But who did that? You know some of you. C.S. Lewis did in the Chronicles of Narnia. Have you read the last paragraph? Do this. Here it is. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. A friend of mine lost both of his teenage sons, David and Michael, to muscular dystrophy. Just after, or before David died, he asked a friend to wheel him through a mall. It was a Saturday afternoon Surrounded by frenzied shoppers, uh, this friend stopped the wheelchair. And he bent over. He said to David, he said this, David, if you had just one wish, what would it be? David said, nothing. I've got Jesus. I've got a mom and dad who love me. I've got friends like you to push me over the speed bumps. And then smiling, an awkward smile that his friends and family had come to love, he said, besides, I know where I'm going, and there ain't no wheelchairs there. Friends, I've traveled a very long way on this planet. I've spent time with millionaires, billionaires, CEOs, VIPs. I have yet to meet someone richer than David, strapped in a wheelchair, but filled with hope. One day soon, our question marks are going to be straightened into exclamation points. One day soon, we are going home. And that is our ultimate reason for joy. Would you stand to your feet with me? C.S. Lewis said, yes, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. May thoughts of heaven fill us as we go from this place. 2 Corinthians 4, so we don't look at the troubles we can see right now, rather we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Would you take a moment and thank God for the inheritance that is coming? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy that you alone give us, a joy that will be with us the rest of our lives as we choose to walk with you, to be grateful, to choose that joy. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and for all that you're going to do. We commit ourselves to you with great thanksgiving for your love, for the cross, for the resurrection, for the world to come. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you. It's been great to be with you.
and go enjoy. Thank you.